As I sometimes like to say, on the day you were born, you cried, and everybody else was happy. But if you live a faithful life, on the day you die, everybody else will cry, and you'll be the one who is happy. In the tradition of the Christian faith, All Saints Day has been around for about 1,600 years, give or take, in one form or another, having evolved from individual commemorations of Christian martyrs who died as witnesses to their faith to more of a broader general celebration of the lives of those martyrs who had grown in number, and ultimately, it became a commemoration of all the faithful who died in their faith, all believers in Christ. Given the fact that a saint in the biblical definition of the word is not just a martyr or a witness or a person in the Bible or a, a person who is known for their extraordinarily good Christian behavior and receives that title in recognition by the church, which then immortalizes that woman or that man in stained glass or an icon or another piece of work of art. On the contrary, St. Paul wrote to a number of churches and places where he greeted all the saints. In other words, all the believers in a certain church or in a, a certain place, because the word for saint actually comes from the word sanctus, which means holy. And so in the Bible, a saint is holy, not just because of their good behavior, although that would certainly be nice, but because in the Bible, being holy means that you've been set apart that you have been designated for the glory of God, the purpose of God, as a child of God. You may or may not know that uh, Halloween, which obviously was yesterday, also has its origins in All Saints Day and is actually short for All Hallows' Eve or the Eve of All Holies or the Eve of All Saints. And it included the custom of passing out treats that were known as soul cakes, to people who would go from house to house offering to pray for your dead relatives. Most people also agree that Martin Luther, the founder of the Reformation, posted his 95 Theses on the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany on October 31st, All Hallows' Eve, assuming that the very next day, All Saints' Day, November 1st, today, the church would be filled with people who were attending Mass and would therefore be likely to see them. With respect to the way that we celebrate all saints, a guy by the name of Philip Melanchthon, who happened to be Martin Luther's sidekick and protege, offers some valuable instruction to us. He says that first of all, we should give thanks for the saints who have gone before us and for their victory in Christ. And so All Saints Day, it's a day of thanksgiving. It's also a day for a little bit of Easter to be celebrated. Second, he says that we should remember them and the blessings that came from God through them during their journey here on earth. And then third, Melanchthon says that we should imitate them and follow the examples of their faith and keep this chain of reaction of grace going through our generation until we receive our final victory and, and our rest in Christ. Well, you know, I'm no Melanchthon, obviously, but I've made my own three suggestions over the years with slight variations on the theme, the first of which is to remember and to give thanks for the saints who have gone before us. And, and if our remembrance and our thanksgiving comes with some tears, then hey, so be it. Because after all, 
Even Jesus wept at the death of his friend Lazarus. And as I like to quote her from time to time, Queen Elizabeth II once said that grief is the price we pay for love. No love, not a lot of grief. A lot of love comes with a lot of grief when we lose those loved ones from this earthly journey. Second, we should remember and give thanks for the saints who are still among us, all around us, who encourage us, who cheer us on in our faith and to help us keep going even in the midst of difficult times. Just like St. Paul wrote to those churches and he gave thanks to God for the saints in Ephesus and the saints in Rome and even the saints in Corinth who were notoriously misbehaved, quite frankly. And then last but not least, we should remember and give thanks that by the grace of Jesus, you're one of them. Not because you're so well-behaved or because I'm some kind of a super Christian, far from it, but because we've been set apart, made holy, designated and claimed to be the children of God in the living waters of our baptism. Well, this isn't the first time it's happened to me, but... This year, I have a member of my own family who is part of our commemoration on all this Saints' Day. As I mourn the passing of my older brother, Dan, or as I knew him, Danny, who got sick in January and passed away at the end of April. In a text that I sent to a childhood friend of mine with the news, I told him of my brother's passing. He texted back and he said, and I quote, coolest guy on the planet. And he really was the best brother I could ever imagine having. He was always encouraging, always funny, uh, always taking care of me and looking out for me. The guy was best man in like seven or eight weddings, not including my own. Because he wore a suit to work every day, I am the recipient of literally hundreds of hand-me-down ties that he wore, and they're good ones too, so that, to be honest with you, I haven't purchased a tie on my own for literally decades. Like our fathers, his prayer book was worn out and beat up from daily use. And when he got diagnosed in February, I called him to ask him how he was doing with all of it. And he said to me, well, I told Jesus, that if this doesn't get better, then he's going to have to take me because he promised he would, which isn't exactly the most conventional prayer I've ever heard, and he probably didn't get it from his beat-up Lutheran prayer book, but that's how it was. I remember the day that my brother and I stood in the back of this very sanctuary following the dedication service for this new house of worship to the glory and service of the triune God and and as he was uplifted by the worship that day, as we all were, we stood together in the back of the sanctuary and he gazed around this hallway to heaven and he said to me, you know, if you can't get it here, referring to the gospel, I don't know where you can. And even though COVID prevented me from being with him as much as I would have wanted to in his final days here on earth. I did get to visit him. I did get to pray with him. And I can tell you that his last in-person words to me were, love you. And mine to him were, love you too. And God's got you. 
after which he gave me a thumbs up and I went to the car and drove back to Maryland. And even though I still feel a lot of sadness at his passing, and even though I think of him every single day, and even though I wanted to call him when Pitt lost to Boston College in overtime because he went to Pitt and then I went to Pitt, Philip Melanchthon's words nevertheless are coming in very handy to me right now. As I do give thanks for his victory in Christ and that now he's the one who is happy. And I do think of the blessings that God gave to me through his journey here on earth. And I do need to try to imitate him and to keep the blessings of grace moving like a chain reaction in this world until the brothers are reunited in the Father's house of many mansions. And all that is a way of inviting you to think that way too as you remember and give thanks for brothers and sisters husbands and wives, parents, grandparents, children, church members, neighbors, and friends for whom we say Alleluia on this All Saints Day. Our scripture lesson for this morning comes from the very last book of the Bible, which is known as the book of Revelation and is actually short for the Revelation to St. John or the Revelation of Jesus Christ to St. John, although uh, the title in Greek is actually the Apocalypse, which literally means unveiling. And if you've ever read it, you know that the language really is apocalyptic and that it is mysterious and in many ways very symbolic and may even seem a little bizarre to you. But St. John wrote those words at a time when Christians were facing all kinds of difficulty and, and hardship. And the cult of Roman emperor worship was intensifying, which led to, to Christians experiencing persecution, which even put John himself for his missionary work into exile on the island of Patmos, today a Greek island. And it was on that island that John receives a number of visions that he then shares with all the saints of God as a way of encouraging them to stand firm in their faith, to keep going in their journey because the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ would be with them all. And that is how the entire Bible ends. And what we have today is a snapshot of one of John's visions where he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth, in other words, the world we know, the sky we see, passed away. And he says there is no longer any sea. Because back then, the sea, which in some respects does give life, was also known as dangerous and treacherous and turbulent and, and life-threatening, from which a lot of fishermen and a lot of travelers never did come back. And a lot of scholars believe that John was actually referring to either the Mediterranean Sea or the Aegean Sea, in which the island of Patmos was actually located, and that I can tell you was everything but peaceful the first night that we were on it a few years ago. But then he says, I saw a holy city. I, I saw a new Jerusalem. 
coming down out of heaven from God as a bride on her wedding day. And God was there. And he would be with us and we will be his people and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And he says there will no longer be any death. In other words, no more eternal death. There will no longer be any mourning because it will pass away. No crying because it will pass away. No pain because it will pass away. And at that point, you know, I just want to stop and point out something that it took me a while to recognize. And that is that, you know, we talk about loved ones who died. We say they passed away. But in John's vision, it's just the opposite. It's the other way around. It's the first world that passes away. The one we know, the one that we can see, that's what passes away. The turbulent sea is what passes away. The mourning, the crying, the pain, the eternal death, all of that passes away. And when all of it goes, what's left is our new life in Christ. So that we're the ones who are happy. And if we can get ourselves to think that way, not only about the loved ones who have gone before us, but as I think about my own dying someday, then that isn't to say that there aren't going to be tears, but there will be a new vision, a new way of looking at our eternal future, thanks to the one whose grace is everything who shed blood and victory from that empty tomb designates us, makes us holy. Not because we're such good girls and boys, but because we have been saved by grace. And so from this All Saints Day, I say to you, let's keep going. As the daughters and sons of God, as women and men and girls and boys who have been saved by grace, sent on a mission to this world until all of this goes away. And we celebrate our victory in Christ. Until that day, we give thanks for the saints who have gone before us. We give thanks for the saints who are all around us, just like Paul did for the saints in Ephesus and the saints in Rome and even the saints in Corinth. And we give thanks that by the grace of God, those of us who live and die in faith are among them. And that because of Jesus Christ, we're the ones who will be happy forever. Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia and amen.